Listeners, welcome to the 141st episode of The Goods, a film podcast. Brian, for the first time in 10 episodes, we have exited our theme month. We ran an extra long double theme month of movies about making movies, and now we're out of that. We we escaped. On to something different. No one makes a movie in this one. <laughs> but... This is in some ways familiar ground because this is our fourth October already, Dan. We kicked off in the middle of September, so kind of already on the cusp of spooky season in our first episode. Yeah. So it's spooky season. We're recording this on one of the first days of October. And we're going to do a spooky pick now, and I think at least through the end of October... Nothing but spooks. So it's kind of like a theme month, not exactly. But, you know, that's how how we do these Octobers here on The Goods. And I think a lot of the movie-watching world leans into to horror films or horror-adjacent films in October. That's right. It feels good. It feels right. It made me nostalgic for past falls. I've been replaying some of our older episodes, like Over the Garden Wall. I'll definitely be watching that again with the girls. We talk about it a lot, and... I have a prank on my three-year-old where I play her potatoes and molasses when she's not suspecting and she gets mad at me. And it's very funny. It's the peak of comedy. It's like Rick Rolling, <laughs> except she's never heard of Rick Rolling. So it's like I invented a new funny thing for her. So, wow. I've been doing that now for a year or so against her. Good work. <laughs> so last week when I told you that we were going to watch and discuss today's film, which is the 1996 film entitled The Craft, directed by Andrew Fleming. I told you I wanted a good teen slash school movie that was also a good spooky season pick. And I had remember seeing this movie and I was like, I, there's some interesting things about that one. I want to watch it. And then I realized like the day after I told you that this is what I wanted to watch, that I was actually thinking of a different movie. I was thinking of a movie called The Faculty, which is directed by Robert Rodriguez, who I'm very fond of, who did the whole Spy Kids series and adjacent series. Right, the one that I... I mean, I didn't introduce you to it. I suppose you'd watched the original Spy Kids before, but I put it on the slate, and then you just took a deep dive. I ran away with it, yeah. And then... It's also written by Kevin Williamson, who wrote Scream and was a big influence on late 90s, early 2000s horror, made it a lot more snarky and teen focused and quippy and postmodern. So quickly, what's the faculty about? I don't actually know. I didn't know what the craft was about. I figured it was witch related and I don't know what the faculty is about, but I, I have seen it cited as a horror movie. So that's really all that I know. So 
that's the one I wanted to watch, but we watched something else instead. So, uh, you know, it is what it is. <laughs> if you know nothing about it, how do you know that that's the one you wanted to watch? Well, because I knew there was one that had like an interesting writer and director. And I had it like in the back of my head. And then it was school themed. It's faculty. So I assume it's school themed. Okay. I got you. Well, you know what? Even picking this one, not knowing much about it, we still got teens in a high school and it's still spooky season appropriate. It worked well, and it, it made me kind of pivot to what we can talk about today, which is the concept of a blind pick, a blind watch, a blind buy, where you go into a movie knowing nothing about it. And particularly if we pick it for the podcast, because, you know, for all we know, could have not very much say, to say about a movie. It could be neither particularly good, nor particularly bad, nor particularly weird, you know? But I don't know. We were talking a little bit about this and you kind of came out in defense of the blind pick. So what are your thoughts on this, Brian? How, how often do you go into a movie, whether it's for the podcast or otherwise, that you know pretty much nothing about? Well, I guess I should practice what I preach. Generally, the episodes I assign are all movies that I've seen before. I'd say it's like a 80-20 split, maybe. But I think it's important that we have ones we haven't seen before because ostensibly the premise of the show is that we're judging movies we're saying is this movie worth your time is it good and if it's only ones we already know are good that doesn't help anybody or it just it just doesn't stretch our faculties doesn't broaden our horizons at all i think it's good that we have some where it really is a blind taste test yeah i agree i think setting aside the podcast i think if you're a movie fan I think it's good. It's it's like, um, what am I saying? It's like a palate cleanser. It's like, you know, when you're doing a wine tasting and they give you little crackers and you eat the cracker and then it, that like kind of freshens your palate for whatever the next thing you're going to have is. To me, it's a little bit what like watching a blind pick is. It like it ref- it it kind of resets you and, and lets, brings you into something where you're kind of uh, level on it. You know, it's maybe not a director that you're in love with. It's maybe not a series or an actor or even a genre that you're you're really into and i would say the craft is that for me i mean uh, you know there is nothing about this from the outside other than you know i tend to like high school comedies dark comedies i like that as a setting and so you know i was kind of predisposed to enjoy it but it's always interesting to come into something not knowing what it is what this scenario had me thinking of i think i mentioned it when we covered the great race that 60s kind of throwback to like silent film era melodramas but as a comedy in the 60s that the first time i watched that was because my dad rented it saying oh your uncle really talked this one up he loves this movie then he popped it in and said about halfway through (laughs) this is not the movie (laughs) It's like with me and the faculty. I think he was thinking of The Great Escape. Okay. <laughs> which is a That's very totally different totally different, yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> but I ended up liking The Great Race. That's pretty funny. So I follow a couple of Criterion forums. I don't really collect Criterion movies, but I find they tend to be passionate movie fans with interesting things to say and like slightly artier film taste than your typical film board. And I also just find the collection of physical media 
to be kind of fascinating, but they talk a lot about blind buys, which is the same concept where you buy a movie without knowing anything about it just because it's a Criterion movie. I guess in some ways that's the opposite. It's almost like excessive loyalty to Criterion that you'll buy anything they release, you know, but it's conceptually it's a little bit the same because you don't know what you're going to get. If you go, oh, I'm just going to go choose spine number 497 and buy that, whatever it is, and watch it. And so, like, I don't know, that for those ones, it's a little different because you're, like, committing $20 to buying a DVD or Blu-ray or something. But um, I, I like the spirit of, of expanding your horizons. You might wind up with Armageddon. I knew you were going to bring up Armageddon. Whenever Criterion comes up, people love to talk about Armageddon as, like, the bad movie in the Criterion collection. It's not even that it's bad, necessarily. It's just a total blockbuster pick. It seems like the antithesis of a Criterion pick. I guess it is in some ways, but Michael Bay has been, to some extent, been reclaimed as an auteur. Like a a trash auteur, maybe, but like, I don't know. He makes films in a very specific vision. And I think whenever somebody who does things in a very specific way gets derided upon too much there's always going to be cinephiles that pivot back the other way so i don't know i actually like armageddon i don't know if i'd say that about any other michael bay film but i think it has its moments i just find it funny that it's a criterion inductee i think i watched it in fourth or fifth grade but uh, i don't really remember anything about it it's got Liv tyler oh that thing you do and then that's the one with the song uh, where don't want to miss a thing. Yeah. Which the subject of that song is Liv Tyler. So she's like the romantic interest. Right. But her dad sang it. Isn't that a little weird? Oh, for sure. Okay. I'm not alone in that. Okay. But also like the story of Armageddon to completely veer off track, but like the the climax is so the the dad is Bruce Willis, the dad of Liv Tyler, and she's kind of got a relationship going on with the young oil driller played by Ben Affleck, and then all the oil drillers go up to the asteroid, and then they've got this like nuke. They, so they they get hired to dig a tunnel down to the core of the asteroid that's going to hit the Earth. And they have to go because it's easier to train diggers to be astronauts than astronauts to be diggers, apparently. <laughs> but so the team digs the hole and they get the nuke down there. And then they find out that, like, the detonator doesn't work or something. So they can't detonate it remotely. They have to detonate it on site. And it's going to kill whoever sets it off. And originally Ben Affleck's like, oh, I'll do it. And then Bruce Willis says, no. You have your whole life ahead of you. It needs to be me. And so then, like, the, the message of the song, I think, is kind of, it's like Bruce Willis also, like, saying goodbye to the daughter. Okay. So a whole lot of weird vibes in that one is what I'm taking away. It's written by Liv Tyler's dad, sort of sung about daughter, but it also is a romantic ballad for sure. Right. Okay. Good to know. Also uses well the song Leaving on a Jet Plane. Does it play when they are literally leaving on a jet plane? Or is it a rocket ship? Well, they are not on a jet plane, Dan. They are on a rocket ship. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah. So on the topic of 
of 90s films. <laughs> well, on a topic of 90s films, but also on the topic of blind picks we've done in the past that have worked out well. Idle Hands was basically in this boat when I picked that. I can't remember if that was last October or if that I just kind of picked that in the middle of the year. I, I honestly don't remember. No, it was. It was from last spooky season, and I was very much feeling some of that vibe. Okay, good. Maybe not quite as much of a pleasant surprise in this case, but like it had that energy of just a later 90s or early 2000s horror teen pick. It's also just different. It's not a normal slasher. It's kind of about a slightly different topic, like a I don't know. You don't see too many 90s like teen movies that are about witches. It's just kind of a random one, you know? It's like I feel like more often it's about somebody stabbing someone else or I don't know. Maybe I'm just thinking of the Scream movies, which is not an unfair comparison to this, as we will see. Yeah, we've got two Scream alums here, at least. Is this from the same year as Scream 2, 96? I think so. Wow. So what other witch movies have we talked about on the pod before we dive into the movie of the week? Well, we had a couple Suspirias. Yeah, that was all I could come up with, too. So our very first episode of the podcast was about Suspiria from 1977. And then for our 100th episode, we talked about Suspiria from 2018. The reddest movie and the hundredest movie, as we called them. So what are your thoughts on witches as a, a horror archetype, Brian? Well, you can go multiple directions with witches. So I just watched The Witch from 2015 by Robert Eggers. I thought it was pretty good. I loved The Lighthouse, which I also just saw for the first time. I'm knocking out some recent movies. I've been introduced to the morally gray area of film viewing online. Oh, nice. Finally. Join me. Wave that pirate flag. <laughs> And yeah, so I loved The Lighthouse. I mean, really got into that one. The Witch, it had its moments. I, I think that's a really cool setting, more more Puritan horror. I think The Witch is great. I, I'm probably a little higher on it than you are. But, like, with witches, you can go, like, the Elizabeth Montgomery route, where, you know, really lean into the sexiness of it. Or you can go the, like, Margaret Hamilton route, and it's a scary demon person who comes out of a ball of fire. Maybe there's a little of both in any interpretation. It's like you never quite know how a witch is going to turn out. I think what ties them together is witches are distinctly a feminine spooky creature and often, like, kind of weaponized in some way, which... Definitely is an undercurrent of the witch, the the recent one, the Eggers one, and maybe less so for some of the other ones. They're just kind of like a caricature. But I was also thinking there's the cartoonish route. Like, uh, wasn't there a Casper movie where Hilary Duff was cast as the witch? I want to go watch that one. Could have been. I know that there was Casper and Wendy at one point because Casper comes from the Harvey Comics label. And they also published Wendy the Witch, so they did a crossover movie. And then, of course, Sabrina spawned from the pages of the Archie comics. My own personal witch experience really came to its head when I visited Salem in 2015 for an episode of my public access horror host series. And they're all about witches up there. Like, 
the elementary school is called Witchcraft Heights Elementary. Wow. And they, they, they even infiltrated the public school system. That's kind of funny. <laughs> Man, do for a cleansing. Yeah. They they didn't they didn't stamp them out. What's the name of uh oh Hoxon Haxon? Have you ever seen that like the 19 mid 20s uh, or maybe early 20s uh silent quote unquote documentary? I think it's Swedish. Yeah. Yeah, Haxon rules. Yeah. Like the visuals in that film are insane. It's kind of, it's a really weird film because it's like presented as a documentary about what witches are and it's like this is what a witch is and then it like constructs a, a bunch of scenes of witches like it's not documentary footage it's like kind of neither fish nor fowl it's like trying to teach you but in the midst of trying to teach you showing some real spooky ooky visuals that are really terrific this is a person in a witch costume of course it's not really a witch or is it? <laughs> perhaps. Then again, perhaps not. Is that AWOG? That's AWOG for you. Amazing <laughs> world of ghosts. So one of the things they say in, in Haxon is he claims in it that 20% of women who died in Europe over like 300 years were burned as witches. And apparently this is like one of the most laughably wrong facts that has like ever been cited in a documentary. So basically what they did is they took like a four month period in which there was a witch burning spat in one town and like 20% of the women who lived there over a certain age were burned as witches, which is more plausible than saying like 20% of all European women for centuries were burned as witches. So... Just don't don't uh, take everything you, you hear in Haxon to to heart. Okay, good to know. And just a little taste of what's ahead. Uh, in my next pick, we'll have a little bit more witch history too. Okay, okay, cool. And if you haven't been to Salem, you should because it's pretty cool. Their like central tourist attraction is the Witch Museum, and it's clear that they have had like an evolution of the attraction over the decades. Like they've still got the core show that they bring into where they've got the, like wax works and it plays the recorded audio from the seventies. And then they like walk you into a little hall at the back of the building. That's got like, and here's the Wiccan community today. And so just very different, like museum aesthetics and eras. Interesting. I always like that when you have an evolution of viewpoints, the one where this is, totally different magnitude of built up over time, both in scope and in time. But if you ever go to Rome in, in Italy, it's just insane. Cause like one building will be built in the 1960s and then the next one will be built in 200 AD. And then the next one will be built in 1300. It's, it's just insane. And sometimes they're like even tiered, like you'll see the front will be ancient the next one will be medieval. The next one will be Renaissance and the next one will be modern. And you can like almost see it in a straight line. It's pretty crazy. Wow. I'm sure there's other cities in Europe that are like that. The ones that have been around forever. But anyways, shall we talk about the craft? One more thing about my own witch experience is that at a yard sale, I purchased a book. This was pretty recently. But it was like 
How to Be a Witch in 1998 or something. I, the, I, the title was something like Modern Magic. I got to dig around and find it. But it's all spells like how to banish spam emails and stuff. <laughs> like, it's got a computer and, like, runestones on the cover. And, yeah, it's, like, late 90s, early 2000s witchcraft, so I think it would pair nicely with this film, and I'm definitely going to have to drop some key quotes in our Discord. That reminds me of, we've had Gavin on our podcast twice. Great dude, lives in Paris. I got to visit him when I went to Paris. He is a biblical scholar, keen listeners will remember. Just celebrated uh, the birth of a child. Congratulations, Gavin. Congrats. We were going to have him on, but we couldn't get the timing quite right before his baby came. So we'll probably have him in a few months. He is. <laughs> he bought a book called uh, the something like the Bible for Gen Z. And it took Bible verses and translated it into Gen Z slang. Oh, no cap. He Exactly. And he was quoting it to us on online chat room when I was talking with him earlier. Um, and we were getting a laugh out of it. Maybe we'll have him quote some of those next time he comes on. <laughs> Man, I am just all over tangents today. All right. So The Craft, 1996 film starring Robin Tunney. Don't really know her from too much other stuff. Playing Sarah Bailey. She's the protagonist. And we'll talk about some of the other co-stars as we go through here. So the movie opens as Suspiria did, actually, with uh, this main character driving in the rain from one town to another town. I guess in... Suspiria, she like got off a plane or a train or something like that and then hopped in a car. But here, Sarah is driving from San Francisco to Los Angeles. So, Brian, second week in a row, we're talking about someone who splits their time between San Francisco and Los Angeles after we talked about what's the name of the weirdo who made the room? Tommy Wiseau. Do you think maybe he's a witch? <laughs> It's not the worst explanation for how the room got made. He made a wish to Manon. <laughs> um, so Sarah, she's a depressed teenage girl. She's moving with her dad and stepmom. Her mom died a few years ago. She has either committed suicide or just... Well, she didn't commit suicide because she's still alive. But I, yeah, she attempted it. Sorry, good point. So yeah, she either attempted suicide or has just kind of cut herself before but what does sideshow bob say they don't give nobel prizes for attempted chemistry good one and her stepdad i would expect in other movies of this ilk the stepdad to be a evil character here he's just kind of like a nice guy and he's like the geometric average of all 90s movie dads in one he looks a little bit like daniel stern and a little bit like charles groden and a little bit like other sitcom dads where he's kind of got balding hairline, but like looks a little frumpy, but also kind of friendly. Just a very generic 90s dad. This movie had me thinking about hairlines more than most films. Yeah. And so there, there's there's some ooky stuff to start. We can tell there's going to be some bad vibes in this movie now and again. But before long, it is her first day of school. 
I don't know if it's everyone's first day of school. In fact, I don't think it is. It's just her first day of school at a Catholic school, which gives us some good church imagery, crucifixes and pews and kneeling and things like that. So I I always dig that. I, I was raised Catholic, as we've talked about, Brian. And she kind of searches for a niche to connect with. There's some some, of course, obnoxious boys in her class. So one is Skeet Ulrich. That's right, Skeet Ulrich from Scream. And here he plays a guy named Chris Hooker. And he's going to be the sort of romantic interest. I did get a kick out of his friend Brecken Meyer, who just is remarkably good at showing up in bad movies and or making okay movies worse. I don't know what it is about this guy, but he always he was like the star of Garfield the movie. And <laughs> what else has he been in? Breckenmeyer. I'm looking it up now. What else? Is, see. Oh, he was in Clueless, which is a good movie. John, a plain man. <laughs> he is more than that. But for now, let us say he is John, a plain man. I think we talked about him in Kate and Leopold, too. Whoa. He was in Herbie Fully Loaded in 2005. So, oh, he also made it into the Garfield sequel, A Tale of Two Kitties. On the subject of Kate and Leopold, I guess that wasn't quite a blind pick, but it was close. It was one that I knew a little bit about, and then we tossed it on. So I think that was worthwhile. Another group that Sarah encounters, and this will be the one that she ends up connecting with, is this group of three outcast girls. And these three outcast girls are all unpopular for different reasons, but all of them are like dealing with personal problems. So uh, the first one is Rachel. She is black and her personal problem is she's suffering from racism because there's like some mean girls at school. Actually, the mean girl is played by the love interest from the movie Dodgeball, which is one of my favorite comedies of the 2000s. I don't know if you've ever seen Dodgeball. I have seen Dodgeball. I thought it was funny. I think I only ever watched it one time, though. So I wouldn't have made that connection. That's interesting. But anyways, so we have Rachel, played by Rochelle Zimmerman. Uh, the next one is Bonnie, played by Nev Campbell. Another Scream. This the, She's the star of Scream. And here she is in probably like the fourth build role in The Craft. 1996 was a big year for her, I guess. Definitely. And she has suffered from some body loathing, body dysmorphism issues because she has these really bad burn scars. Did they say how that happened? No, and it bothered me. I was like, is there a backstory to this? And it just kind of gets glazed over. LOL, backstory. Oh, yeah. What's the story of her back? Because, yeah, she's got these gnarly scars all over her back. But, like, I looked away briefly, and then I looked back, and she's getting, like, laser spot treatment on this scar mass. And I was trying to remember, did they talk? Was she in, like, a car crash or something? And I, I I didn't notice. It was like an aside where one of them said, oh, she burned herself. But I can't remember if it said it wasn't noteworthy enough that it came up again. So I, I don't know. And then the last one is Nancy, played by, I don't know if you pronounce it, Feruza or Feruza, Feruza Balk. And she has a very distinct look. If you've seen this actress before, you know her. She has here like really intense eyeliner and lipstick. Yeah, she's like the scary but pretty goth girl 
Yeah. And what else have you seen Firuza Balk in? I don't actually know. Would I know her from something else? I, I should I should have looked it up to figure it out. So I think her probably most famous role is she played Dorothy in the Disney sequel to Wizard of Oz Return to Oz in 1985 as a little girl. Around that same time, there's a Christmas TV special I watch sometimes called The Best Christmas Pageant Ever. She's in that as also quite young. But the thing that I know her from where she looked like this, where she's around this same age, is in American History X. She plays Edward Norton's Nazi girlfriend. So they're like going around in the skinhead high heel boots together. Oh, wow. I have not seen American History X, and I've heard it's an intense watch. The first like 10 minutes, especially. Oh, really? Okay. So I'm looking it up now. Other things I would have seen her in is she's the love interest in The Waterboy, which I saw around when it came out back in the 90s. Talking about movies that bring you back to the 90s. And then Almost Famous um, I've seen, and she's apparently in that, which I'm probably going to bring that to the pot at some point. Um, Almost Famous, which is about a touring music group and a teen who kind of rides along with the, the music group. Oh, another good witch movie, Scooby-Doo and the Witch's Ghost. Shout out to that one, because Firuza Balk seems like she could be a hex girl. <laughs> Is that like what they call a, a witch in that show? Oh, so in that special, there is a band, like a witch-themed girl group band called the Hex Girls. Oh, okay. And that was like a key contribution to the Scooby universe, because they've come back a bunch of times in the in the subsequent Scooby media. Oh, and that makes me think of the Archie universe, the Riverdale universe. And they had a spinoff called Sabrina. That was a Netflix original, I believe, which I haven't seen, but looked like a fun campy time. And Nancy, the Firuza bulk, she's suffering from basically everything. Like she just kind of has a crappy life. Her, she's really poor. And like her, stepdad seems vaguely abusive and just crappy towards her and they live in she lives in a little house and even her mom isn't very nice to her and poverty and and all that so just uh she's easily kind of the worst off of of this group and it turns out that these three girls are witches that's it they're already witches so from the start and they're looking for a fourth person to join their coven and it, I guess Sarah's kind of also already a witch because they, like, recognize her as a witch. Well, she's levitating a pencil on her desk. And up till this point, I don't think we've seen any of the other three actually do any magic. So I wonder if all the power is in Sarah. Interesting. So they're just kind of goofing around. Kind of what I think of real life, which is doing like it's like a, a bonding spiritual thing. And she's actually got the, the magic power in her. And she, could be. Also, it seems like there's some power in there being four of them, because that certainly is what the original three say. Yeah. So it's it's they talk about needing a fourth to complete their circle. Air, water, fire and earth. You need four. And they worship a earth deity of some sort called Manon. So I've never heard of Manon. 
And Manon does not have a blue hyperlink on Wikipedia. <laughs> that was my criterion as well. It's like, this isn't leading anywhere. This must not be a thing. Because if it was, you know, it would link to the dedicated article. <laughs> so I was wondering, Brian, what is, is Manon just made up, do you think? That's my guess. Maybe we could read a little more into it, but substitute your demon of choice. This could be Moloch. This could be Baal. Astaroth. If Manon is made up, I choose to read it as intentional that has man in the name because gender is definitely a factor in this story. I don't know. It's like QAnon or something. Or, or in the 4chan green text, they're always referring to people as Anon. Oh, it's like M Anon. Interesting. That's a different conspiracy. Yeah. Arguably, QAnon is a scarier conspiracy. <laughs> But they, when they describe Manon, they also, it doesn't really make sense. They say Manon is everything. It's the dirt and the sky and the things that God controls. And I was like, I, I don't know what you're saying. I, I don't really understand this, but I guess it's just generic witchy demon type. Yeah, they say something like, if God and the devil are fighting on a stage, Manon is the spotlight. But it, <laughs> that's so... <laughs> But I thought this was a deity of power, so I don't know. Anyways. What do they say about the Force in Star Wars? It connects us and binds us. No midichlorians in the craft, unfortunately. I was waiting. <laughs> no Jar Jar Binks either. Well, you know, they made a sequel in like 2020, Dan, called The Craft Legacy, and we gotta, we gotta find out. I actually watched it, Brian. Expand okay, all right. I had my suspicions. I was gonna bring it up at the end of the episode, yeah. That probably wasn't even the right title. What was it? It is the Craft Legacy. Yep, that's right. Okay, all right, good. Few. So, these these girls, these Manon worshippers, <laughs> you Manon lovers, <laughs> they frequent a friendly witchy shop that has a nice shopkeeper who warns them not to get carried away with their witchiness. So, what are the odds that they're going to get carried away, Brian, with that that warning? Pretty high. Yeah. The shopkeeper's name is Lirio. L-I-R-I-O, according to the subtitles. And I liked that. I thought that was a good character name. I want to watch the movie that's about the shopkeeper. And like, maybe it's a romantic comedy. Because she seems like someone who could have starred in romantic comedies in the 90s. Right. I feel like Lirio must have come from Halloween Town or something. Yeah. She's yeah. got that energy <laughs> where she's the friendly monster. Whereas everybody else in the movie is like, more sinister than that. Good point. Good connection. Did we talk about how... We talked about David Lynch two weeks ago. We did not talk about how Dwayne Dunham, the director of Halloween Town, was David Lynch's go-to editor during the Twin Peaks era. So Really? Yeah. Wow. Dwayne Dunham, going from being David Lynch's editor to directing Disney Channel original movies. The Halloween Town franchise, that's what really connects us and binds us. That's our Manon. What would you say is the God and the devil, and what's the spotlight in that, that scenario, Brian? Oh, Arnold from Troll 2 is one of them. <laughs> Could be. As Sarah's getting to know these girls, she continues to trade goo-goo eyes with Chris, the Skeet Ulrich character, and they kind of go on a little date, and she, like gently turns him down when he's like hey you should come up to my room 
And it's not even like a harsh turn down. It's like, oh, not right now. Not this date. And he says, oh, okay. But then he like immediately turns on her and starts like bad mouthing her and making up stories about her. Things progress in sudden leaps and bounds in this movie. Like people's allegiances turn on a dime all the time. That actually made me think of the Scream movies because those ones sometimes have sloppy script stuff going on with them too. So I guess it's just a 90s thing. But anyways, the four girls kind of fed up with their lives and stuff eventually decide to uh, cast their big spell. So there's some build up to it. They go out into the woods. They set out their witch's circle. They all do like a little, they poke their fingers with a decorative blade from the witch shop and put blood into a, a goblet and each make basically what, I guess it's like a wish that they're at something they're asking for man in for. And they each make a wish. I guess man is also like a genie in this case. Yeah. Or Santa Claus <laughs> or something. I would say I would dress up for man and for Halloween, but I literally don't even know what I would dress up as. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta set out your cookies and milk for Manon. <laughs> Sarah wishes for Skeet Ulrich to love her. Bonnie, who's Nev Campbell, wishes that she would ha have cured skin and beauty. Well, she might just directly wish for beauty, but the implication being that her burnt skin is cured. And Rachel wishes for revenge against her racist bullies. And lastly, Nancy... She just wishes for everything, like all of Bannon's power. And if I'm one of the other ones, I'm like, uh, can I rewind to do that too? That feels like you can't just wish for all of Bannon's power. That's like asking the genie for more wishes, you know? That's the benefit of going last. <laughs> Everybody's like, wait a minute. I didn't know we could do that. But I do like how this kind of mirrors how bad the situations are for each of them. Like for Sarah, not much is going on despite her new surroundings like we don't really get any sense of much going wrong in her life other than boy and social troubles and yeah the the person who's suffering from racism is going to be kind of petty and cruel to the per to the people who are racist towards her it's like I, the kind of mirrors it and then the person who's living the worst life wants the most overall okay i kind of get that at least but it still seemed like wishing for everything might be a little much and she chugs the wine the wine goblet too so and although there's like some ooky stuff going on constantly, like lots of snakes and bugs and stuff throughout, at first it seems like their wishes work. So basically Chris Skeet Ulrich becomes infatuated with Sarah and like, it's like, oh, I'll do anything. Yes, I'll carry your books. Yes, I'll sit next to you. Things like that. And like throwing pebbles at her window. Oh, please come down, spend time with me. And she can like steer him around. I, I found it kind of funny. Yeah. She's like, she has to tell him anything. Like, if he's going to do it, she's got to tell him, sit here, go there. I liked it too, but I felt like the movie didn't quite nail how to make it funny. It's like, it seems like it should be a funny thing. And it's like almost halfway towards being funny, but it didn't quite get there for me. But yeah. Bonnie, meanwhile, that's uh, Nev Campbell. She... Her, she gets that surgery you're talking about and miraculously her burns are completely healed and all of a sudden she's really confident like putting on more makeup and her hair and, and not wearing heavy trench coats and stuff and 
I liked the practical effects in this movie generally. Like the burns coming off. I mean, I'm sure it's like some piece of prosthetic makeup that just peels off anyway, but it was it was kind of interesting seeing the technician take it off. It's like, oh, ah. And all the stuff with the bugs. For whatever reason, this magic, it just kind of generates bugs. And then the more black it gets, more bugs. And it's like, whoa, real scorpions. Where'd they get real scorpions? You wouldn't have that in 2022. You'd have CGI bugs. Now, one thing I want to say, a couple things I want to toss in here. One is that, so Nev Campbell... For whatever reason, when she was the star of Scream, I always found her kind of cold and standoffish. But I think if, you know, 16 to 18 year old Dan had seen this movie, Nev Campbell would have been an object of fascination. We'll put it that way and prevent us from going too far down horny on Maine, as our listeners have accused us in the past. (laughs) (laughs) To me, I don't know. She doesn't look too different from Sarah, so it's too beautiful brunette yeah i kind of (laughs) disagree sarah looked more like someone who would star in a decom there was no like uh sex or danger about her she was just like a kind of generic pretty actress (laughs) this whole movie more about the movie itself than about any individual actress i was thinking of there's this youtube video i watched where it's quotes from what was the show with snooki jersey shore jersey shore yeah jersey shore quotes taken but then all the actors in the skit are impersonating oscar wilde and so they're sitting around this beach house imitating oscar wilde but saying jersey shore quotes (laughs) and one of the ones is there's nothing to her she just sits there like (laughs) furniture that's pretty funny so the, the craft, there's nothing to it. It just sits there like furniture. <laughs> Actually, now that I said that she seems like she could be the star of a decom, it strikes me that this movie is like a hard PG-13 extra spooky decom in some ways. Like just like a lot of decoms, it doesn't have all that much narrative thrust to it. And there's just kind of some scenes that are just thrown in there just for the hell of it. And it kind of takes a sort of random kind of out there, vaguely supernatural or high concept thing and turns it into a story that's not 100% fully baked. I can definitely see some some decom energy in this. I don't know about you, Brian. Right. Yeah, there's nothing too gnarly. Like, there's basically no gore in this film. Definitely a lot of spookiness and darkness, though. More than you would see in your typical decom. I don't know. I will say I did like a lot of the scenes where they were just kind of hanging out and like being witchy and not necessarily like driving into the themes and narrative of the story, but just like witch as sort of this bonding thing, almost like a metaphor for being an outcast, connecting with other outcasts in some ways. This movie has good 90s vibes. It felt like an episode of the X-Files or something. I like the editing in the opening credits where it's like the craft and there's just a flash of like frame by frames, half subliminal witchy images. Right. Um, I guess we didn't finish going through what how their 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 wishes were, were going. So 
because at the start, it's kind of going well for everyone. Uh, Rachel's bully, her hair starts falling out, which kind of mirrors that like the way that she was being racist was talking about Rachel's distinctly black hair, curly, and kind of making fun of it, using slurs against her and stuff. So now that's kind of mirrored back on her. The, the bully's hair starts falling out. And lastly, Nancy, who just wished for everything, she basically starts using magic to fix everything in her life and just like get all of the problems in her life out of her way. So she basically kills her stepdad and then her family gets apparently he had a huge pension. And so now they have money, too. And like she's doing stuff like, oh, I can just make lights turn green when I get up to them because I have the power of man and things like that. And she walks on water and she kills a bunch of sharks for some reason. Yeah, I didn't know what was up with that. That to me was more just generic ookiness to go along with the witchiness. It's like that's I guess that's a sign that things are about to turn. You know, you kind of pushed it to its limit. You know what? I think I think you're right. Maybe that's what they were going for, that it's the same thing that's making the bugs appear. Maybe it like brings them up out of the ground. And so when they're at the beach, it brings the sharks up out of the water. That's probably what it was. But. I I didn't put it together at the time. <laughs> it just made me think of the Trump tweets that are like, sharks are last on my list. I don't remember that one. He had too many out there ones. <laughs> Not a fan of sharks. But don't worry, they will be here long after we are gone. <laughs> the man can post. Few doubt that. Regardless, your your take on his politics. And thanks to Elon, he can post again. Although he doesn't on Twitter, does he? No, he's he, he made his own with Blackjack and hookers. <laughs> Truth social. And he called them retruths instead of retweets. <laughs> to be rich enough to be able to come up with an idea that dumb. It's, I mean, it's the Wizzo principle. If you throw enough money at something, you can make anything happen. So then things do start to to turn from good to bad, as they inevitably do in Wish stories. And one thing this had me thinking of was I just watched this movie that I think is technically premiered in 2022, but has been making the rounds recently. I think, I don't know if it was Shudder or something. It just kind of hit streaming. So a lot of people have been watching it. And it's called Talk to Me. So have you heard anything about this horror movie, Brian? I watched this one in the last week or so, actually. Oh, now you have access to all these movies. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> I I made a pact. <laughs> With Manon. Yep. I wish that. Show me the new movies. <laughs> so what did you think of Talk to Me, Brian? I thought it was pretty good. So it's about like this dead hand that can possess you at parties. You've probably seen the poster. And they use it for like social media clout. The weirdest thing to me was that somebody's got the hand before the movie even starts and like everybody knows about it. It's like, oh, yeah, he's got that dead hand you bring to parties that possesses you with ghosts. Like, OK, I guess everybody just accepts this and it works every time from the start and they already know all the rules. And it only becomes a problem when they exceed the safe time limit that everybody already knows about. So I don't know. But what was cool, I mean... The whole thing was kind of cool. I like that it's got, you know, mostly practical effects again. But when it possesses the kid that for some reason the ghosts really hate, 
he gets slammed around all over the place and he's just getting messed up. And when that happened, it, it took me aback. It's gnarly, yeah. So, I mean, to me, that, that whole movie is kind of a metaphor. At least the scenario is like, maybe not a metaphor, but like equating communing with the dead with like any other sort of teen indulgence. Like, to me, the, the weird stuff about it kind of replicates the way that like teens use drugs, for example. Like, oh, there's the one person who has the drugs and people don't quite know how that person got it first. Maybe they had an older brother or maybe they knew someone who had some and gave it to him. And then now at parties, that's what they all do. And like they take it further and further until it someone ends up getting hurt. But, you know, like in a, another teen indulgence story it would be like someone gets in a drunk driving accident or overdoses or something like that. But here it's someone communes too long with the dead, someone who's too young and too weak and just gets knocked around and like gets totally beat up. So he has to go to the hospital. Yeah. Can't handle his spirits. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. But it, right. It's a none too subtle after school PSA. Pretty much. Also, it's Australian. So be ready for that. If you didn't know, just looking at the poster. But I actually also watched that movie recently and was thinking of it as I watched this because it's got some of the same vibe of like the various things that they wish for and encounter are a little bit like heightened versions, spookified versions of in tenor, at least of things that teens would be dealing with, like infatuated boys and all of a sudden I have the freedom to go out and live my own life. But if I carry it too far, then it's that. And, oh, I have this new beautiful body that boys are attracted to and I can go out and flaunt. And it's like, it's not too on the nose about it, but it still kind of works as like uh, relating back to the teens as a sort of heightened thing. What about Skinamarink? Did you watch that one? I did watch Skinamarink, yeah. So I've only watched like the first half hour so far. And my thought was, what the hell? <laughs> Like, what is this? It's a movie where the point is to not show you things. It's like, point the camera at the wall, point the camera at the floor. It's like, no, that's not what a camera is for. You should, if you had asked me, would you, would you like this movie? It would have been a hard no. I was like, that's not the Brian kind of horror movie. It's like, a, <laughs> it's a, the opposite of a fireworks factory movie. And I was surprised because so much of the runtime is taken up by Fleischer 30s public domain cartoons and the credits thank the internet archive yeah but um that one the big problem is skinamarink is just too damn long it's like it should be like a 65 minute movie and instead it's like 100 minutes or long or something like that you, if you're gonna not show something at least don't show something for a short period of time not a long period of time it just makes me think of the original outing of the Simpsons Treehouse of Horror where they read Edgar Allan Poe's The Raven. And it gets to the part where he opens the door and there's nothing there. And Bart says, you know what would have been scarier than nothing? <laughs> Anything! <laughs> Definitely that energy to Skinmarink. We're getting off track here. I feel like you've been going through the movies recently, Brian. I have been. I've been watching a lot of movies. For a little bit, I was doing one a day. Now I've got some more homework, so probably not that same pace this week. But my friend hooked me up, gave me the, the, the dead hand of internet illegitimacy, and I, I watched a bunch in a row. You're feeling man insurgent through your veins. That's right. 
but yeah, so the witchy powers go go too far. They get carried away. So Chris, aka Skeet Ulrich, it wouldn't be a 1996 horror movie starring Skeet Ulrich if he didn't end up being a skeevy guy who gets killed. So here he basically takes his obsession with Sarah too far and like essentially attempts to rape her at one point. And like his obsession and lust basically taken over him and he can't control himself. Meanwhile, Bonnie, a.k.a. Nev Campbell, she gets obsessed with her looks. Rachel's bully, the one who was losing her hair, like loses basically all her hair. And it's got like weird scabs on her head and it's really gross looking. Yeah, I didn't like it. And we see her like rocking in the shower in shame at school. Have you ever read or watched Thinner by Stephen King? No. It's like a body horror short. I think it's like a novella. I read it when I worked at Ripley's in the 4D theater, and there was just in the projectionist booth a locker full of Stephen King books. Uh, But I just recently watched the movie version. It was pretty much the same deal, and it deals with a curse like this corrupt justice system in a small town railroads this old gypsy family. And they get a raw deal in court because it's a good old boy system. And so then the good old boys are cursed and they all are like gradually succumbing to various gross body corrupting afflictions, whether it be boils or the hair falling out or the main character starts the story fat and then he starts losing weight and it's like, oh, this is good. But then, you know, by the end, he's skeleton man. Oh, gross. Yeah. And then Nancy, you know, she just becomes power crazy and following every whim she wants. And if she doesn't get the thing she wants, she gets mad and whatever. She's like goth Baruch assault or something. Something like that. There's also this kind of thing that also I felt like needed to get explained, but never really got explained, is that Nancy has some history with Skeet Ulrich, with Chris. Like, either they used to date, or they hooked up once, and then he badmouthed her. I think that's what we're supposed to take away, that basically, like, she had been victim of the same thing that Sarah was, where there was, like, a brief thing, and then he started talking trash about her after... Or around the time they hooked up or something like that. That that was my understanding as far as Chris goes. But the whole thing with Nancy just seeming to hate Sarah, like Nancy wants to be the main character of this movie. And it it seems like from the very start, she doesn't like Sarah. She's kind of staring daggers at her. And it's the other witch girls who are like, no, come on, Nancy, we need four. Witch powers need four. But like all along, Nancy seems to have it out for Sarah. So I read that a little differently. I read it just as Nancy's misanthropy. She just doesn't like anyone and hates her life. And that's why she was always bitter. But I don't know. I guess it is directed at Sarah specifically sometimes. Because like it it just felt a little sudden at the end when suddenly she's Nancy is like trying to kill Sarah and she enlists the other witch sisters to do it and they just go along with it because like in the climax there's just bugs everywhere bugs boiling out of the sinks yeah and this turn so this is right about where we're at the turn basically what what causes this turn where the other three witches turn against sarah is that 
Sarah decides that Nancy's gone too far and like tries to cast her own spell to lock it in. What's the word they use? Oh, right. The spell of binding. Binding. She's researching the spell of binding because Nancy's going too far. She's like disguising herself as Sarah and trying to hook up with Chris and stuff. Oh, yeah. They have the glamour. Yeah, that comes up a couple times. And the glamour is hallucinations you can you can cast on people. Right. At first, it's like, oh, look, I can change my hair and make it silver. Isn't that funny? But then, like, now... I can make you think your parents died. Exactly. It gets worse. Abused worse and worse and worse. I mean, even, like, non-consensually hooking up with someone and pretending you're someone else is pretty bad, too. Because that's what Nancy does to Chris. The old bed trick, to quote Shakespeare. And then she, like, throws Chris out of the window and kills him. So Skeet Ulrich dies. And they're sad about that. That's what makes Sarah want to do the the binding spell on Nancy. That's what she's like, you know, once you've killed someone, maybe, just maybe, this whole teenage witch thing has gone a little bit too far. Devil's advocate. It was Skeet Ulrich. <laughs> it's something about him. He just, he looks like a, uh, he might be a nice guy. I don't know anything about Skeet Ulrich in real life, but he definitely looks like a douchebag. Just some part of you wants to throw him out of a window. <laughs> I felt at least a little bit of sympathy with Nancy here. So yeah, after the after Sarah tries to cast the binding spell, all the other witches turn against her. And so the climax is like, I don't know, I thought kind of weirdly, Nancy and Sarah fighting each other, which felt kind of off from the spirit of the movie, which was about these outcasts banding together and exploring the outer limits of their teenage identities and their wishy powers together. But now, I mean, I guess there's something to be said of like, you know, you take things too far and you bend friendships to the breaking point. But like, to me, that this third act felt a little bit off. Yeah, I felt like there were a couple times in the movie where it kind of lurched. Like there was just a sudden development that maybe if it was like a mini series or something like they had plateaus they wanted to reach and... Like, okay, at X point in the script, we're going to be here with this going on. And then the the connection between them wasn't always organic. But eventually Sarah does defeat Nancy and manages to, like, bind her powers away. And as they're doing the battling in this climax, yeah, they, they kind of force Sarah to undergo this, like, it was making me think of the trials of Hercules or, like, Moses or whatever, like, witnessing all these horrible both natural and personal terrible things that you have to go through to defeat the witches like yeah there's bugs and scorpions everywhere there was one particularly gross shot of a toilet that was just overflowing with cockroaches i was like that's that's gross man but it's it, kind of cool i i love this this was the high point for me even though i didn't quite understand especially that like rochelle and bonnie were in on the okay we're gonna kill sarah now yeah but yeah, that all this magic was making just a deluge of of bugs, centipedes and scorpions pouring out of the toilet like train spotting or something. <laughs> and like they try to convince her to attempt suicide again, but then she doesn't. But then Nancy comes out and actually slits her wrists like for her. It's like, well, I guess you will. That was another moment where it was like things are happening really fast here because Nancy's like, okay, you're going to go upstairs and commit suicide. And then Sarah comes back down the stairs, like not that long later. And Nancy's like, 
You didn't commit suicide yet. It's like, what? This, the pacing just seems weird. <laughs> yeah. Like, you're expecting big dramatic things to happen in a short window of time and not really building towards them. I just feel like I'm on a wild mouse roller coaster or something, being jerked. But after after the battle is done and we get our denouement, Bonnie and Rachel come up to Sarah and they're like, oh, man, that we got a little carried away there, huh, didn't we? It's like, yeah, when you tried to kill me? Yeah, I guess a little bit. <laughs> They've, like, lost their witch powers for some unknown reason. And Sarah's like, no, I don't want to be friends with you. And I still have power. And I'm especially loyal to Manon, unlike you. Yeah, I think it was all in Sarah all along. She was the the true witch. They were just riding her witch coattails. And then the stinger is we we see Nancy now. She's in an institution strapped up and she's like insisting that she has powers and oh it can fly and like almost suggesting that it was like a insanity for her all along or something like that, you know? I don't know. Like her she was unable to cope with her bad life and this is how it manifested itself. Which I guess dovetails with your the power was in Sarah all along theory. But that's how the craft from 1996 ends, Brian. Well, now I'm curious, Dan, what does happen in the sequel? Can you give us a little taste? Yeah, I'll tell you about the sequel. So it came out, I think, in 2020, maybe 2021, called The Craft Legacy. And it's kind of a reboot like it doesn't really follow the same characters but it does follow a character who moves in and i think it's worse than the original it's not like aggressively bad i one thing i did like is it it has kind of the same dynamic where there's a fourth girl who comes in and that kind of kicks off the witch circle but they have really good chemistry and they really felt like teens who were friends in a way where the craft always felt like a little heightened and forced. I don't know. That, I think, was the strength of it. But I think the the script was pretty dumb. Like, the story didn't work even as well as the craft. And it does a thing it like that a lot of movies from the past few years do, where it, like, tries to make the horror more tightly connected to, like, the themes, like, directly. And kind of makes it about... A whole bunch of things like there's some trauma and toxic masculinity like the bad guy ends up being the stepfather in that one hmm. yeah everybody's got to have trauma in horror movies these days yeah and it has some of the same beats but can i tell you the twist ending go ahead so another thing in that one is the main character is really close to her mom and so they spend a lot of time together and comfort each other and a big twist in the third act is oh you're not actually my birth mother. I was adopted. And then the the stinger scene after like we've gotten past the climax of that one is that she's going to go meet her birth mother and she goes and her birth mother is in an institution. Like, wait, what? And it's Firuza Banks appears. That's her mom of the main character. Perfect. She's the one I wanted to know. OK, I want to see her if we ever return to this. But it's literally one shot, and then the movie immediately ends. She doesn't even get to say anything. So it was kind of disappointing. I think they were maybe setting it up for like a sequel, but the movie lost a lot of money and got bad reviews, so I don't think there will be a sequel. Oh, man. No Craft 3? Then how are we ever going to have Craft 4 where the A is the 4? Kerforft. 
I don't know. I will say the effects are also much worse, so I think you would have a bad time with that one, Brian. I probably would. Does anybody float around in a CGI bubble? No, none of that, unfortunately, or maybe fortunately. But their favorite effect in that one is a thing where like it freezes the entire frame except for the main character. It uses that gimmick like seven times. And after the second time, I was like, I think that's enough of the thing where they're like freezing time. But that's how they avoid danger is that's the spell they can cast. But then they uses it like six more times. And I'm like, OK, pump the brakes on this one. And I think that's one you can do entirely in post. So that's probably why they relied on that one. But anyways, craft legacy in there. I would not necessarily recommend it. If I would give it a three on the is a good scale, probably. How does it compare to something like more American graffiti? Oh, man, more American graffiti is delightfully weird. I would much rather recommend more American graffiti. Also, it's called the craft legacy, but like, except for that very last scene, it doesn't connect to the original craft at all. It's like, wait, I don't know why, what the legacy is here. It doesn't really come up, but um, the guy who plays the British monarch in the recent rom-com red, white, and Royal blue plays the love interest in that. And there's a twist that he's bisexual and I was like, oh, I guess he's typecast now as someone who's secretly gay because that happens in Red, White and Royal Blue, too. But anyways, any good things or not so good things you wanted to shout out about the craft, Brian? You know, it, it went down easy. It was inoffensive. It may end up fairly forgettable. It's fresh right at the moment and it fit the season. So I'm glad we watched it. Yeah, I think it's cool that it's about... It, it just feels slightly unique. It doesn't feel like every other horror movie. Not that I've seen all of them from this era, but just like the the witch angle and like the girls bonding angle just feels a little different than your, your normal 90s Scream era horror movie. So I thought it, it benefited from its uniqueness. It made me curious to watch Charmed. Isn't that the other 90s girl witch movie? Hmm. Is that a movie or a TV show? I think it started with a movie like Buffy the Vampire Slayer, but I could be wrong. Okay. You know what? Throw on Matilda too. Why not? As far as if we're if we're just watching all the 90s witch movies. Okay, I just searched Charmed and I'm not seeing that as a movie. You might be thinking of something else. Okay. For whatever reason, I've always lumped Charmed in with Clueless. And I don't really have a reason for that other than they both start with C and it's a single word. But family drama television series. Yes, I guess so. It was a show. You're right. I just looked up witchcraft movies of the 90s and... I'm sure it put Hocus Pocus up there, right? It did, yeah. Scooby-Doo and the Witch's Ghost on here too. So Brian, I think we've reached our signature section. Is it good? So in Is It Good... We each give the movie a rating on our eight-point goodness scale, ranging from very not good, which is a one out of eight, to our masterpiece rating, Tour to Good, which is an eight out of eight. So I'll let you go first, Brian. Is the craft good? Well, one thing I've thought about lately is it's been a long time since I gave, like, a low rating that wasn't a one. I, I tend to come down hard on movies, I think, at least recently. I, I've hardly ever given anything a two, and so I was wondering, like, is this a three? Just because I think I'm, I may not 
it's going to wash off my brain, is my sense. But I think I'm going to be a little more generous to it, because I think, I mean, my feelings are, are, are somewhat positive. I, I think this, to me, is a four out of eight, which we've termed good-ish. It's very 90s, which I liked. I dug all the bugs and the sharks, and, you know, it's it's not a bad movie. I'm not going to rush out to watch it again or say that you should, listeners, but if you're looking for something to watch for Halloween, it's it's not the worst choice. What are you feeling, Dan? For the first half of this movie, when it was kind of like a decom energy, but edgier, I was actually really vibing with it. I thought it, I thought it had a pretty good balance of characters and spookiness, but just like kind of good friendship vibes. Um, but with like a, a right amount of, of darkness and spookiness to it. And like it was kind of built around this bond between these four outcast friends who are like figuring out their place in the world. And that kind of drives the scares and the spooks and the the creepiness and the practical effects and the scenarios. And then I feel like it goes a little bit off the rails in the third act when like they're fighting against each other and like it's kind of a whole mid-tier effects climax you know the effects are nice but it's also like i just felt a little out of place like you said there's lurches in it that didn't quite click for me so i was actually at a soft five for a lot of the movie and then i kind of sunk down to a four as well um because it, it goes down easy like you said and it's no, no part of it is like aggressively bad except maybe parts of the end that just feel a little bit out of left field, but like it, it more or less works for most of the time. And yeah, they, that's when you go in with the blind pick, it, you, you sometimes just get a movie that's unremarkable. And I think that's kind of what this is. Like I had a good time watching it and I'm going to be moving on from the craft. It's not going to be my best of the year. It's not going to be my worst of the year. It, it's just, it's the craft. It's what did you say it was? It's a piece of furniture. <laughs> just there like furniture. I'm glad we watched it, though. Good start to the month. Yeah. And thus we approach week two of Spooky Season, Brian. So what what are we going to be watching next week? So I've just got possible October picks stacked out to the horizon like the dude in the Time Enough at Last episode of The Twilight Zone. This year and next year and the year after that and the year after that. And barring any abrupt loss of my vocal cords or something, I think we'll, we're set for a while. But the one I immediately want to cue up is called The Halloween Tree. From 1993, it was a TV movie animated by Hanna-Barbera for the brand new Cartoon Network. It's got Leonard Nimoy in it as the the like spooky host leading a bunch of kids on a lesson of the history of halloween and to pair with that i'd like you to also read or listen to the original novella from 1972 by science fiction author ray bradbury oh it's an adaptation cool i think he was trying to write the christmas carol for halloween interesting well I'd be happy to read that and watch it. So this should be fun. Yeah, I've been listening to an audiobook recording. It's about three hours long if you listen that way. So I'm going to send you a link to that as an option, or you're welcome. I also have a paperback. 
but I think it's I think it's going to be fun. It's it's a neat instance of a TV movie. You know, I love those. Yeah. Is Firuza Balkanit? Not that I know of. Okay. I'm going to have to look at the cast. The the headliner is, is Nimoy. By the way, I didn't say... I, I was kind of criticizing the way her character was written. I think Balk was awesome in this movie. I thought she would like really inhabited the intensity of that character. Great performance by her, I thought. <laughs> she has like an electric presence. Anything she's in, your eyes are locked on her. And I think she's got the makeup to really bring out her eyes. Yeah, for sure. No other noteworthy performances. Yeah, like, what am I going to remember from this movie? A lot of scorpions and the girl's hair falling out, which I, th- I think my hair may be thinning a little bit, and I'm, I'm it, it, it made me scared. I was afraid. Not Breckenmeyer. That's not going to be your takeaway. Maybe we'll do Breckenmeyer month. Literally, the only other time I've heard that name is from you in a previous episode. So <laughs> I had forgotten everything that you said until you said it again. Forget everything you know about Breckenmeyer. <laughs> Done. <laughs> Well, thank you, listeners. We're recording this late, listeners, so if I seem a little loopier than normal, that would be why. And I finally came across my annual stash of Evan Williams' Kentucky bourbon cider, so that may account for some of it, too. But I think it's a good kickoff to the month. We've got plenty of spooky season ahead. All right. Thanks, listeners. Have a good weekend, and Brian, I will talk to you next week. Talk to you soon, guys. Bye. Bye.